0: You are listening to the Thoughts From a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I'd love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am interviewing Bonnie Garmis about lessons in chemistry. Bonnie is a copywriter and creative director who has worked widely in the fields of technology, medicine, and education. She's an open water swimmer, a rower, and mother to two pretty amazing daughters. Born in California and most recently from Seattle, she currently lives in London with her husband and her dog, 99. Lessons in Chemistry is the April GMA book club pick. I hope you enjoy our conversation. The new season for my friends over at the Book Club Girl podcast is launching today. I hope you will check it out, and here's a little bit more information for you. I'm Tavia and I'm Bianca and we co-host the book club girl podcast where we chat about great books by awesome authors and our listeners ask the questions. This season we're interviewing best-selling authors like Lucy Foley, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, and Sally Thorne. We will also talk to Punk Shepard, Bolu Babalola, and Vanessa Riley. And let's not forget Tracy Lifsay and Jenny Polgan. Join us every Wednesday. Season two is dropping now with nine new episodes. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media at Book Club Girl. Happy reading. Welcome, Bonnie. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy.
0: I am so glad you are here. I have been hearing so much about your book, and everybody's been raving about it, and I'm thrilled to pieces that we're going to get to talk about it. Oh, me too. Thank you. So first... The book is sold in 35 territories. It's already optioned for the screen with Brie Larson starring, and it'll be on Apple TV. Do you feel sometimes like you're waking up from a dream?
1: I feel like I can't wake up. It's just this ongoing, ongoing dream, really. It's really been incredibly positive. And I even actually now have 37 territories, I'm I'm proud to report. So the whole ride has been very amazing, just absolutely shocking, actually. that's That's the only way I can describe it.
0: You know, that's so funny that you say that about 37, because as soon as I was saying sold in 35, I was like, I wonder if that number has changed. And it (laughs) has. So two more. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, why don't we start out with you giving a quick description of Lessons in Chemistry for those that won't have read it yet?
1: Okay, great. Well, Lessons in Chemistry is about a woman named Elizabeth Zott. She is a chemist in the late 50s, early 1960s, who very reluctantly, becomes the host of a TV cooking show. But instead of teaching cooking, she teaches chemistry, because cooking is chemistry. But naturally, this is not at all what her producers had in mind, and there's trouble ahead. But her audience of the so-called average housewives of that time period eat it up, and then so does everybody else. And that's because her show really isn't about cooking. It's about personal empowerment. Elizabeth challenges her viewers to say no to society's limitations, and to stand up and have the courage to be who they are. And she does it without fear, and she never apologizes. And she often offers it with some humor, sort of unintentional humor on her part. So that's the book.
0: Well, that's what I was going to comment on. Was there is so much humor, which I loved, but sometimes it is unintentional. <laughs> yeah. Like you're laughing at what she's doing when she doesn't even realize she's being funny. Sometimes,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's almost like she's a, an alien from another planet in some ways. You know, when she when she walks into a room, sometimes I'm even surprised by by what she says. But it, it's really just because she's a very rational person, and sometimes rationality can be can be quite funny because we're so used to things being irrational all the time.
0: Exactly. And she's really challenging the stereotypes and the roles that women are put in in that time period. And she just doesn't have any patience for it. Yeah. Which I love.
1: Yeah. She's sort of like the original fed up woman. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, she says no more than anybody else I know. And she just, she has, she stands behind her convictions
0: One of my questions for you was going to be why you think Elizabeth Zott is resonating with so many people. And I think we just talked a little bit about it, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: I think Elizabeth Zott is resonating with so many people because she's rational. And her rationality makes her unintentionally funny, but it's also something that we need to hear these days. Our world has become increasingly irrational. So in some ways, she's a breath of fresh air. She's the woman who says what you wish you'd said. In a meeting. You know, she's that person who just refuses to accept the status quo because it doesn't make sense to her. And I don't know how many times I've sat in a meeting and and thought, oh, you know, an hour later, oh, I wish I'd said this. Mm? She says it right then.
0: I do think that's one of the things that people really like about her and will like about her is that she says the things we wish we could say or wish we had said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I was writing her, I would sometimes even question in my mind. Is she really going to say that and then she'd go why wouldn't I and I thought oh great I mean I, it was so much fun to write her because she just has she doesn't have opinions she has she's just determined she has thoughts that she feels very free to express and she does it on national television which is a area that women that wasn't friendly for women back then so for her to just say what she thought all the time to, a, to an audience that was you know, kind of underestimated all the time was just something no one expected, especially her producers, of course.
0: I loved one of the conversations where the producers were talking about the show and they're like, we're gonna put her in tight clothes and she'll stand <laughs> there at the end drinking a drink. And she's like, yeah, I want no part of that, thanks anyway.
1: Right, she's like, no, you know what? You've got the wrong person. And I, I think what I really liked about her was that she never backed down from the show. You know, she was going to do it. But she saw the show in a completely different light. And when she first starts talking to her producer, Walter, she keeps describing it as a science show. And he keeps saying, you know, again, it's a cooking show. And she says, yeah, you can't separate the two. Cooking is chemistry.
0: I loved that. And then she goes on to use the show for her own purposes versus letting them use her. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yeah. She has a lot of ideas about what what women should hear, what people should hear. She doesn't discriminate. She's very much a feminist. She's very much really an, an equalist. And so when she's speaking, she's speaking not only to women, but to men about really how to build a better society, about how to say no to things that limit us. I really enjoy the reactions people have to her, the audience, her own neighbor, You know her child, people look at her and they're either in awe or they're annoyed or they're shocked or whatever, but whatever she's doing, they're not going to not watch her.
0: Yes, everyone has some kind of response. Yeah. Well, where did the idea come from for the story?
1: Well, the story originated, I should say it was sparked by a very bad day at work. I'd been in a meeting and it was one of those meetings where it was all men and I was there to present some concepts and I did that And then there wasn't much chatter after that about after my presentation. And then five minutes later, a man basically said exactly what I just said. And everyone said, great idea. And I think a lot of women have experienced that. But that day I was so mad and I came home and instead of working, which is what I really needed to be doing, I sat down and wrote the first chapter of lessons in chemistry
0: I love that. A good way to respond to something negative that happened to you by just turning it around positively.
1: Right. So I feel when I write, I write best when I'm having some sort of strong feeling of, you know, it can be anger, of course, which sparked this book. But it can also be happiness or it can be sadness or, you know, it can be any number of emotions. And often, you know, I, f- I write very early in the morning, usually. And believe it or not, you know, when I wake up, I'm I'm thinking about things. And that's a great time for me to write. It doesn't seem like that would be an emotional time, but it is, at least for me.
0: <laughs> I'm never awake enough in the morning for that to be an emotional time for me. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a morning person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think I might be a morning person. I Well, I know I am. I've been one for a long time, but... You know, I'm a rower and rowers get up early. So getting up at 4.30 or
0: 5 is no problem for me. That's great. That still feels like the middle of the night for me. (laughs) 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 Well, you have quite a publishing story and I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Can you walk me through how it all came about? Yeah,
1: I had moved to London. We'd been transferred first to Switzerland and then we were transferred again to London. And you know when you move around a lot like I've done going to a new place is always really exciting but it also has drawbacks you have to start over all over with friends and that can be really difficult and you all, for me I also had to sometimes start over with work I couldn't always keep all the clients I had if I was moving from one place to another so I came to London and my husband was traveling a lot I didn't know anybody and I took an online course at Curtis Brown called right to the end of your novel, because I had written this book, I was about two thirds of the way through it, when I took that course. And um, in the course, I met some people online, they seemed really nice. And I decided to apply for their in person course, because I thought it'd be great, you know, to meet people in real life. (laughs) This is, of course, pre COVID. So I got into that course, and that was just a three month, one night a week sort of thing. And it was really great because I met really nice writers. Writers tend to share, you know, the same kind of issues. Um, We we face a lot of rejection. Writers are usually alone. We read a lot, so it was really great once a week to be in a room with a lot of people who felt the same way I did about reading and books. And we had a wonderful instructor, Charlotte Mendelson, who's absolutely brilliant. And so from there, at the end of that course they offer a, a cocktail party sort of situation where you get to meet some of the agents of Curtis Brown, which for all of us was a really big deal. And the idea behind that is that you get to pitch your book to them. And maybe they've read a little bit of it, but maybe they haven't. You know, These are really, really busy people. But that night, I went to the cocktail party and Felicity Blunt was there and she was handing out name tags. And she called my name And I, you know, I got up and went over to get my tag and she put all the name tags down and led me out of the room. And I thought, what, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on, but I was certain that she probably had the wrong writer. And um, she said, I read, you know, your, I think it was 5,000 words she read. She said, I read the first 5,000 and I'm really, really interested in your book. And I really, really want to see it when it's done. And I still wasn't sure she meant me. And I wasn't sure until she said Elizabeth Zott. And I went, oh, okay, thank God. Anyway, so Felicity and I, we really hit it off. And um, a few weeks later, or actually, no, I guess it was a couple months later, I still wasn't done with the book. I told her it was going to be done in June. And I think that cocktail party was in February. But a couple months later, she ended up just saying, you know, I'm going to sign you before you're done because that's how much I believe in your book. And for me, I think that has to be the dream because. First of all, she was the my dream agent. She was an agent that I had identified that I really wanted to work with. I'd seen a video of her talking about agenting and what she looked for and I just got the sense this was someone I could really work with and I really liked her personality. So there I was sitting in her office and she said, "Well, let's, you know, let's do this. I'm going to sign you." And I <laughs> I was so excited going home that day that i accidentally dialed the emergency number on my phone and i didn't know it and i you know i'm walking to the tube and suddenly my phone starts ringing and it's it's london emergency services or whatever they call themselves and they said did you is this a real emergency and i looked at my phone and i went oh my god i said no well i mean but i mean i did just get signed by this agent <laughs> oh that is
0: so funny
1: I know she said, have a nice day. And she (laughs) hung up. So anyway, so from there, Felicity and I worked on well, I finished the book a couple months later, and then we worked on it. And then she got it prepped and ready for Frankfurt Book Fair. And I think it surprised both of us that it ended up doing so well at Frankfurt Book Fair. I actually I can just speak for myself. I was absolutely shocked (laughs) that there was so much interest. You know, it's, you write a book about a woman, a TV cooking show host who's a chemist who doesn't really want to talk about cooking, but really about chemistry. And that sounds like a hard sell, doesn't it? But there it was. It had a really great response.
0: Well, can you tell me a little bit more about Frankfurt Book Fair? Because I kept seeing that pop up when I was looking into everything and, you know, getting ready for the interview. Yeah. But Book Fair to me sounds like a place where you go and they're selling a lot of books. But obviously, either there's that component and there's another component or. It's not like you think of as a traditional book fair, but instead it's where books come to be sold. Can you kind of walk me through that? Because I'm not familiar with it.
1: Yeah. You know, to, to be honest, I haven't been to one. I wasn't at Frankfurt at that point, but it was, you know, I think by that time we were in COVID or getting there. But uh, what was so interesting about it was that Frankfurt Book Fair, I think it's the largest book fair in the world. And this is where all the world's publishers come and agents come and editors come and everyone's looking for the next new book or books. But it's also a chance for agents and rights people to sell the rights to other countries because they're there. So they may already have a book and say, this book is being published soon, you know, it already has a publisher, but we want to sell it in new territories. So what surprised me at Franklin Book Fair, um, I was only looking for at that point They were going to present it to UK publishers. And the UK publishers really were incredibly interested. Again, I was completely shocked. And so we we went to auction because we had more than one or two offers. We had 16 or something.
0: I saw that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. They just came pouring in. And Felicity was so great. She called me up and she go, Well, we got another offer. You know, and so what she did was she laid a ground floor. And she'd say, you can stay in this auction if you can meet this amount. And then from there, you know, we'll just see how this goes. But what she did was also help me filter and figure out which publisher would be the best for the book, Uh, the best for me and the best for the book and best in terms of marketing. And, you know, it's this kind of recipe and it changes from book to book. So she was very helpful that way. And I ended up talking with a lot of editors and every single time I met a, an editorial team or talked to the marketing departments or whatever, I just fell in love with all of them. And that was a huge, huge problem. I mean, it was it was very tough for me to choose, but I had Felicity to
0: help. I can't even imagine trying to wade through all of that. And as you said, you're like, okay, I really like these people. Maybe I'll go with them. And then you meet the next group. You're like, oh, but I really like them too. That's a lot to choose from.
1: It was one of the hardest and most stressful times of my life. I know it was a really great time in my life, but it was also very stressful. And after we finally got through the UK auction and we had decided, okay, trans world, then the US auction was right on the heels of that. And that was just as (laughs) fraught with anxiety for me because I was meeting these editors in the US and talking with these teams of people, people whose names I've seen in books for a very long time and have admired my entire life. And there they are on the phone with me saying, you know, we'd really love to publish your book. So there was this time for me where I was just in this suspended state of disbelief. And I kept waking up at night thinking this can't be happening. And I kept getting up to check my computer and my husband would say, let me save you a trip. It's real. And I again, you know, with if Felicity hadn't been there, I don't know what I would have done. But she also brought in Jennifer Joel at ICM and she's American agent. And so together the three of us waded through all of the publishers trying to find the one that felt like it would be the best fit for me. And that was a very hard process. And I changed my mind a thousand times. Every time I talked to someone on the phone, I'd say, Oh my gosh, that's it. It was so hard. And then while that was going on, Felicity called again and said, Well, Hollywood has it too. And we'll leave that for a little bit later. But, you know, that followed on pretty quickly as well.
0: I wanted to ask you more about that the book being Option for the Screen, Brie Larson starring it, being on Apple TV. I mean, how amazing is that?
1: Well, you know, I could not have dreamt that up if I tried. I think that is the stuff that, you know, every writer dreams of. But I have to tell you, you know, And then, of course, suddenly I accumulated yet another agent. Now I have a film agent. So, and he's wonderful, Luke Speed. And so Luke is calling me saying, well, there are a lot of people interested, but I've narrowed it down to eight. And I thought, eight, you know? You're
0: like, that's not really narrowing it down, but thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that seems kind of big to me. But, you know, they were really amazing, amazing um, people. And a lot of these people have won a lot of awards. I was talking with the people from, you know, Mad Men and Game of Thrones and, you know, people that I just really, really deeply respected. And I ended up talking with the woman uh, who wrote Aaron Brockovich, who was Susanna Grant, and really love her writing. Anyway, it was a very, very difficult choice. But in the end, I decided to go with Aggregate Films, which is Jason Bateman and Michael Costigan, producers, and they said, you know, Brie Larson really, really wants to have an exclusive on this. She wants to take more time to reread it, and then she'll make a decision. And she signed herself to that project very quickly. And suddenly, now we're going into figuring out who's going to buy it, you know, Apple TV or Netflix or whatever. It was a whirlwind. I could hardly breathe. It was, there was so much coming at me at that time. But I had this great team. I had Felicity and Jennifer and then I had, and Luke, and then I had aggregate films backing me up. So I had a lot of great people to work with, and Apple TV really wanted it, and that's who we went with. So it's very exciting.
0: That's really interesting to hear how that process works, because I haven't really talked with authors about that in terms of you find the studio first, potentially an actor or actress that wants to star in it. And then you're selling it to one of the networks, or I don't even know what they call them at this point, one of the TV platforms. Yeah. But I think Apple TV does a great job. They've got so many good shows coming out, and they're Mm -hmm. very well done. So I think that will be perfect.
1: Oh, I'm so excited that I'm with Apple. I'm extremely excited. And, uh, yeah, I do think that they're going to do a wonderful job with this.
0: Yeah, we've enjoyed a lot of their shows. Yeah, us too. Well, back to the book. The other thing I want to talk about is the dog because I am a huge dog person. We have two sweet dogs that I love to death. So I loved 630. And I think 630 is resonating with a lot of people as well.
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, I, I, I hope so. But I do think so because every single time I get another review, someone says that dog. And the dog to me was very important. I'm thrilled to hear you, are, you have two dogs. What, what kind of dogs are they?
0: We have a golden retriever. She's three and her name is Stella. And then we have a terrier mix that was a rescue dog. And she's probably 12 or 13 and her name is Lucy. How about you? Oh,
1: how cute! Well, I have a dog, 99. She's a retired uh, racer, greyhound. Um, But 630 is the only character in the book who is based on a real being. And 630 was based on my dog, Friday, who died some years ago. But Friday used to sit with me When I was writing this book, and she used to stare at me, and because I read out loud, whatever I write, I read it out loud eventually. And it always seemed like she was just taking it all in. But she was a very, very smart dog and horribly, horribly abused before we got her. So we had this dog that had been so badly abused that her previous owner had been jailed for it.
0: Oh, that's terrible.
1: Oh, it's really bad. When we got her at the pound, we. I mean, my husband and I were very hesitant about adopting this dog. Um, she had horrible mane. She was missing so many teeth. And, you know, she, she didn't look like she was that healthy. But our girls insisted that she was super cute, and we had to bring her home, and we didn't want to say no to our kids, and we didn't want them to think that we were judging this dog on her appearance. <laughs> so we brought her home. And she turned out to be Gandhi, basically. She turned out to be highly intelligent. And she learned so many words, not as many as 630, but so many words. And um, she used to go to work with me all the time. And I think people, I, I remember one time I was in a building in Seattle and I brought Friday along to the meeting with me, which I did frequently, but this was a kind of a nicer building in Seattle, a high rise. And as I was going past the security guard, one guy tried to stop me and the other guy said, I, you know, I think she has the dog for a reason, implying that I had a disability. And I just thought, I'm going with that.
0: Anyway. <laughs> You're like, yes, I do. I have the dog for a reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Believe me, I need this animal. But yeah, she used to go with me everywhere. And we did a lot together. And so 630 is is quite definitely who Friday was.
0: I loved 630. And just the whole backstory for the dog and everything. Such a wonderful character. I'm very glad you included him.
1: Oh, Thank you. You know, I really hope that the character will resonate with people who don't have dogs, too. But the funny thing about 630 now is that I've heard from three or four people who adopted a dog during COVID and have read the ARC and they have named their dog 630.
0: <laughs> You're going to start a whole trend of dogs being named 630. <laughs> and people that have read your book are going to be like, I know where that dog name came from. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The other fun thing that you did was create a Spotify playlist for the book. Was that so much fun? I've already listened to it. And I was so happy with some of the choices. Like I love Please Mr. Postman and Stand By Me. <laughs> there were some great choices on there. Was that a ton of fun to do?
1: It was so much fun. It was so hard to choose. But you know, sometimes when I am writing, I do play music to kind of put me in the right either mood or I, to put me in that era. And so for me, uh, it was really fun to sit there and choose music. And then I contacted a friend of mine, um, Susan Mead, and I asked her for help because she is so good at 60s and 50s music. And so she kind of collaborated on that list with me because I she's never read the book yet. Of course, it's not out. But I was telling her, you know, it's about this and that. And And so it was really helpful because I I had a few more spaces for songs and she really helped me fill those in. But I think one of my favorite songs on there is uh, The Periodic Table.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, it works for your book. Yes. Yes. (laughs) For some reason, I've always loved Please, Mr. Postman. So I was very happy to see it on there.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorites, too. And I think, you know, in the book, there is that point at which both Harriet and Madeline are mailing something. And so for me, that song
0: really fit. It tied in well. Yeah. Well, what do you hope your readers take away from the book?
1: Well, I really hope that readers will, first of all, have a lot of fun reading the book. And I think what I really love is how many comments I've gotten from people. My goal in writing the book, I was trying to write something that was both moving and funny. I, I feel the need to make sure that my writer, my I'm sorry, my reader is entertained Because you're spending, I don't know, eight or 10 hours with a book, and I want them to know that I'm looking out for their best interests in a way. I'm trying to keep them entertained, but I'm also trying to send a message. And that message in this particular book is that we do not have to be limited to to what society says that we can be. And we just simply have to find the courage to stand up to things and people who try to put us into boxes. That's what Elizabeth Zott did. She does it with a lot of unintentional humor, but she never relents on that message. And because of it, she ends up changing all of these women's lives, but also a nation of people. They start listening to this and they take it to heart.
0: We need more people like that.
1: (laughs) It feels like we're in a time where we could really use people who just say no, who have a very strong sense of right and wrong, of morality and I don't know. It it does feel right now that it's been kind of a, you know, it's, it's obviously been a very tough time for a lot of people. And I think one of my goals in writing the book was to inspire a feeling that things can change. We don't have to live in bleak times. We can make this change. We've done it before. We can do it again.
0: I think that's right. I just think it's wonderful when there are role models like that, And I think we could use more role models that are setting that kind of tone versus some of the tones that these other people are setting.
1: Yeah. You know, and it was important to me to, to, in creating Elizabeth, to create a character with flaws and who had real, real things happen to her, things that happen to people all the time. And I wanted to watch from my standpoint as the writer, how she would handle these things. Because, you know, she she does have to face a lot of di- difficulties. There are, are dark moments in the book, but that's what real life is like. It's full of dark moments. And I really love spending time with a character who knew what she had to do. And, you know, she never questions herself. She never hesitates. She never worries about what she might be or who she might offend. She just acts. And it is really fun to spend your day
0: with someone like that. <laughs> Absolutely. And she does have a strong moral compass, which I really liked.
1: Yeah. You know, in the book, of course, she has a strange background and she's uh, more or less abandoned by her, by her parents. But one of the things that I really treasure about her is that she uses the library. She self-educates. And, you know, a lot of people have done that throughout history. They haven't had access to good education for one reason or another, and she didn't, but she self-educated, as did her her lover Calvin, and that's what they ended up having in common. And I think one of the things that in the book I really loved to write about was creating these characters who just seemed to have it all. They were intelligent, and they were in love, and you know she was beautiful, and he was going to win a Nobel Prize at some point. But in fact, their story was very sad. But everyone assumed the worst of them and were jealous of them because of outward appearances. And I think as people, we, we do that quite frequently.
0: Oh, absolutely. You're looking at people's lives and you're thinking they have it all. I wish I were them or wish my life was like them. Yeah. When really behind the scenes, they're no better off than anybody else.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, it was really important to me to create characters like Harriet and Madeline. And Walter Pine. Actually, every character in the book came to me separately. They kind of walked in because, as you might have seen, notice the book has ten points of view. One of them, of course, is from Six Thirty a Dog. But I needed those many points of view to show us all sides of Elizabeth Zott because all of them see her differently, and that's kind of her magic: is that she is able to reach so many people because she's not burdened with society. She just doesn't care about what society says. She's self-educated. She knows nothing about how to fit in, and she doesn't care.
0: Well, and she doesn't even care about fitting in at all. You know, she's like, that doesn't (laughs) matter to me. Did you start out with the concept of having her presented from 10 Points of View, or was that something that came about the longer you all were working on the book?
1: Well, it's really interesting. I'm glad you asked that question because when I was writing the book, I knew I wanted her to be a rebel. I knew that. But what she really is, is she's transgressive. And when I started writing it, I wanted to reflect that, that, that part of her in the actual writing. So writing from 10 points of view, and sometimes uh, this is breaking all the rules. People will tell you, you may not put a couple points of view on one page. Well, I did. So I wanted the book to reflect her transgressive nature. So the book itself, the structure of it and everything is a reflection of Elizabeth Zott. And that came as I as I started to find these different voices. And I realized I'm going to need a lot more than two points of view here.
0: I love that. And I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, that she's so different breaking all the rules. So as a result, as you're writing the book, you wanted to break all the rules.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, it was so fun to write from all these different points of view, even from the people who, you know, are evil. And the one thing I find when I'm writing a character is you really need to see them from all sides and dimensions. And you need to have empathy for every single character. I mean, I struggled to have empathy for a few of them, but I think really the only one I couldn't have empathy for was, uh, well, there were two Dr. Myers and Phil Lavenswald. But I could have empathy for Donati and people like that because he was obviously in the wrong job. He was also a victim of society. He was being told what he had to do and he just rose through the occasion, but you know, it had terrible effects on the people around him. So I, I think that was one of the, I don't know, that's one of the things I'm proudest of is to be able to write from all these people's points of view and get them across in a way i hope that is relatable but also just seems real to the reader
0: absolutely that's so interesting to think about it from that perspective and the idea of having empathy for most of the characters i agree there's one or two that i don't think i could ever have empathy for <laughs> but at least trying to put yourself in their shoes
1: yeah yeah i think that's really important when you're writing a novel and you know again i just i just kept thinking This book is about breaking rules, and society gives us a lot of rules. We're always being presented with them all the time, and some of them are absolutely ancient, and we're still hanging on to them. And so that was the joy of it, is saying, well, not only am I not going to write from one point of view, I might write from 10, I'm throwing in a dog, and I'm going to shift back and forth in time, so hang on. It's a wild ride here. I just love that.
0: (laughs) You. Well, let's talk about the title, Lessons in Chemistry. How did that come about?
1: That is Felicity's title, because right before Frankfurt, the original title of the book was Introduction to Chemistry, and that does skew as nonfiction. And uh, we had talked about other titles. Originally, I thought maybe I'd just call it Zot or Elizabeth Zott And essentially, um, really, the night before Frankfurt, Felicity called and said, it's still skewing as nonfiction. We can't we can't do it. So we were both, our hearts are pounding, have to have a new name. And she said, how about Lessons in Chemistry? And I said, great. And that's how we got the title.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's the perfect title. I mean, it really does fit the book. I think so,
1: too. And, you know, I really credit Felicity with that.
0: Well, this has all been absolutely fascinating. I have loved doing a deep dive into how the book came about and just the whole process that you went through. It's all completely fascinating. And before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked.
1: Oh, boy. I just finished uh, a book called On Animals by Susan Orlean. She wrote the library book. It's nonfiction. But I, of course, I was very interested in it because of 630. I'm very interested in what animals are doing and thinking all the time. And so I really, really enjoyed that. I'm also reading a book called Rationality by Steven Pinker, but the book I think has most swept me away lately that I finished is a fiction book, and it's also by uh, an author here in the UK whose name is Sean Lusk. It won't be out until June, but it's called The Second Side of Zachary Cloudsley, and it is amazing with incredible craft in writing. It's a story that just swept me away. I absolutely loved it. It takes place in eighteenth, the eighteenth century in London.
0: That sounds really good. I always love asking this question because I learn about books like this one that I would not have heard about yet.
1: Well, I, I have to say, you know, I give that five thousand stars because <laughs> I, I, you know, I read it. I when I sat down to read it, I I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but I was taken by page two. He has a wonderful voice and he's really a craftsman when it comes to writing.
0: Okay, good. I'm going to add that one to my list. And I really liked On Animals. I listened to it and she's the one that narrates it. Yeah. It was oh. really good because I love animals too. So, and I loved the library book. So I was really excited for that one.
1: Oh yeah. She is, she's amazing. She did the Rent and Tim story as well. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, good. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation.
1: Oh, I did too. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Cindy.
0: Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.
1: You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because, The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So, Five Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at thoughtsfromapage, Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.